for sale, first aid, never used. Or was it for sale, baby shoes, never used? Graduating students at the NYU School of Medicine came together to create their own six-word stories to represent their time in medicine. Let's listen to a few more examples. Patient with rash for 43 years. A lifelong journey to be human. The sterile field is an illusion. Will it ever be worth it? The work pays and patient smiles. Representation matters. This journey proved it. Abdomen opened. Foul smell permeates OR. Pimping, pimping, pimping. Oh, what fun. Most noble career in the world. Bellevue weekend. Lonely patient. Where's everyone? Good luck to you, she said. Gauze, tape, gauze. Not enough pockets. Perseverance will get you through it. A white, white coat turns gray. Waiting on hold for Bellevue translator. Overwhelmed, honored, sad, all at once. Hi, my name is Jing. I'm graduating medical school this year and starting my OBGYN residency. Just taking six words is less daunting when you're trying to think of a story in six words rather than novel length. So I think that helped me sort of be able to put things together. The one about patient smiles, I remember that um, I was on a rotation and I had been on rotations for a long time. So it was very draining and taxing, but I think it's the little moments when even as a medical student, you can only do the smallest things that may or may not even be medically related, but if you're able to help a patient in some way and through a smile you can appreciate that they've received um, that piece of your desire to care for them, then it feels like it's worth it. My name is Max. I'm a fourth year medical student. Um, I'm in Gold Humanism. Um, and I helped put together this project. The uh, project itself is we had members of the graduating uh, medical school class submit six-word stories, leaving it open to our classmates to describe their medical school experience um, that we compiled and then put together in a book. At some level, the experiences we got were uh, very relatable. Um, people, I think, submitted repeating themes of things that we all could identify with. But at the same time, a lot of the poems did seem very personal, um, experiences that happened to a specific person uh, that maybe you had heard about or you could imagine someone experiencing, but maybe it was different than your own. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of choosing what visual goes with each poem or story? Sure. Um, yeah, so I worked with a couple of the other students in Gold Humanism to put together this book and um, did a lot of the illustrations. At some level, we felt, you know, which poems spoke to us or which stories um, seemed like they would lend themselves to illustrations, either because they were very evocative or they talked about a subject that um, could be illustrated. Um, we happened to come across this theme of uh, hands um, and using hands as objects to kind of carry out our experience or reflect our experiences. So some poems or some stories that reference surgery or that referenced uh, things with their hands, like 
um, auscultating, lending themselves more to the style that that we were going to illustrate anyways. There was a good response. I think that people um, were happy to submit about their experiences. I think it ended up being a nice reflection of our time, uh, both funny, but also uh, poignant and also uh, more reflective. Um, so a good spread of stories. So we're planning on distributing it um, to the class, but also to the wider medical school community. So other classes and possibly even um, other physicians and families. It sounds like a great project. I feel like people at other institutions might want to do something similar. Is there any advice you would have for other people trying to put together a project like this? Things that you've learned from going through the process yourself? Uh, maybe giving people examples. I think that people, once they're prompted or once they get started, can come up with a lot of ideas. But the initial idea of, you know, trying to boil down an experience or set of experiences into six words can be um, daunting at first. Um, so getting people started with little examples, I think, is a, was a nice thing that we found was helpful. Anesthesia. Start. Incision. Decision. Anesthesia. End. You can leave if you want. These are both six-word stories that Eli, our next guest, wrote. Um, it's great to be here. Uh, I'm a medical student between third and fourth year currently. I'm taking a year off to do research at Stanford. Um, I, my research is in health policy and health economics. Um, and I guess before medical school, I went to the University of Michigan. I majored in business, and I wrote for the newspaper there. Okay, so it sounds like your writing got started way before you even got to medical school. How did you have an interest in writing to begin with? So I went to a high school that placed a very large emphasis on reading and writing and literary skills, and at that point I had no interest in it. Um, but I think uh, when I got to Michigan, I found that uh, writing, and especially uh, beginning to write some journalism, was a very interesting way to engage sort of in vivo with the material that I was uh, learning in classes. Off from there. Was there a particular area of journalism that caught your attention that you explored first? <laughs> well, I, I wrote, uh, I was on the editorial board there and I, I wrote a op-ed column um, which was usually focused on something in between healthcare and business. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, to call it journalism is kind of a stretch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, it was a informed opinion. But I think it, it sort of put me in a milieu of other writers and um, in a thought pattern of uh, beginning to consider what, what projects could look like and what um, you know, other forms of writing could, could manifest as. And with op-eds, I feel like anytime you're sharing your opinion, you're going to get feedback <laughs> yeah. from people who agree and yeah. those who don't. How has dealing with that, that response been for you? Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think uh, anyone who's ever been on Yelp knows that the feedback is strictly bimodal, and usually the people who uh, tell you are um, on, on one end of, of that bimodal spectrum. So um, I, think, I think the first lesson in writing opinion is that having an opinion often means that other people will have a different opinion. It's um, an exercise in fallibility in the sense of you offer one take on the world um, and people respond as they will. So uh, the process of learning 
to respond to feedback constructively and bring that forward, whether that's formally through like crit groups or through editorial board um, or through copy edits, um, anything like that, um, as well as responding verbally to feedback in terms of how people read your article and what you know their feelings were, I think gave me a much keener sense of um, the importance of detail and the details you include and the ones you don't, both of which are active decisions that you make. And you mentioned journalism was kind of that introduction into other forms of writing. Can you speak a little bit more about the other forms of writing that you've done? Yeah, um, so I've written, uh, so I've written short form and long form journalism. Um, I have written op-eds, um, I have written fiction, and it's also, I think, opened my eyes to different ways of storytelling, whether that's um, film, like documentary film, uh, screenwriting, or theater, um, all of which I have not done uh, yet, but hope at some point to do, because I think um, you know, all the different formats of storytelling allow you to engage very differently with the same issue. It's interesting that you bring that up because I feel like in the practice of medicine, there's so much writing as well, note right. writing. And if you're reading through different people's notes, it's the same story, yeah. but through different people's lenses. How yeah. has your experience doing more creative writing influenced how you write for medicine? Yeah, well, <laughs> um, I always got in trouble because I uh, sometimes you don't want to write novels and you know, investigative journalism in your notes when you're, you know, when it, the clock is at like 5.30 and you still have three notes to get done. Um, but I think uh, the process of writing is something that, regardless of how sort of the note turns out on the page, I think there are kernels of the process of writing that you can always keep intact. Um, I found taking a clinical history to be very similar to investigative journalism. You're soliciting information um, the onus is on you to ensure the relevance of um, you know, the information you're soliciting. You get to choose the details that you ask about. You get to offer the open-ended questions that um, engage certain aspects and um, you know, germinate certain answers. Um, and then you get to interpret that information and deliver it on the page. Um, and again, including certain details and excluding others. So I found that when I was writing uh, you know, congestive heart failure case, um, there were details that I was soliciting from the patient um, that other people may not have. Um, and so I found that my narratives had a lot more uh, pertinent negatives than other people's had. Um, and I think part of that maybe was like the reporting process and sort of trying to interpret it as an exhaustive reporting process and trying to comb through all the details. But I think it was also that I viewed what wasn't there as relevant as what was there. And that just because something wasn't in the history didn't mean it was irrelevant. It meant it was relevantly absent. Um, and that was something that I always tried to include in my clinical history. Makes a lot of sense. Seems like a lot of medical students could benefit from engaging in the medical humanities. And you've been helping other students get involved in that process through our magazine. You know, I've been on the editorial board for Agora, which uh, is NYU's um, Master Scholars in the Humanities sort of 
feature venue for um, uh, different forms of art, not just writing, um, for NYU medical students. Um, and that's been an amazing process because we put out a call for submissions based on a, a certain theme every year, usually you know, somewhat politically informed, but always trying to relate back to aspects of the clinical experience. Um, and we've gotten anywhere between you know, 60 and 90 submissions um, every year from, you know, 50 to 70 different students, um, some of which is pre-existing work that they had written at various points in their clinical training, um, or uh, also work sort of stimulated by the call itself, um, created de novo. And I think, um, you know, it's been an honor to be a part of that process and the feedback that I've gotten from um, students who I've helped edit with is how rewarding that process has been for them. Um, even if what they offered was not something that they thought so much about initially um, and that it was sort of cathartic just to get it on the page, that's, that's one, one layer of the satisfaction that, you know, people have had. But then working through the editing process and thinking about, you know, what's the message I'm trying to tell and how do I really process what happened? Um, you know, how, how do I um, convey to others about this experience that I had that may resonate with them? But then how do I sort of interpolate that to myself and say, you know, what was this experience and how do I actually process it as opposed to um, just reliving it? You know, there's a difference between um, putting yourself back in a situation and being a fly on the wall to your own situation and saying, you know, what did I do? Why did circumstances sort of happen as they did? I, I think it's added so much to my experience thus far, and I, I think it's made me the doctor um, that someday I will be um, because it it's a lens through which you can see interactions, um, and it's a lens through which you can see people uh, beyond patients. Um, and I think that's really powerful. So writing and putting yourself in people's shoes is the best form of medicine for me. There's some good signs that that's moving into the medical curriculum too. Yeah. Uh, for my OBGYN clerkship right now, we have a yeah. narrative medicine assignment that yeah. is now incorporated into our yeah. rotation, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing, and my hope is just that we can we can move beyond um, narrative medicine and medical humanities as Dr. Field did. It's not just about satisfaction, it's better medicine. A lot of these sentiments were echoed when I attended a workshop called Pitching Your Narrative to Get Published at the Doctors Who Create Creativity in Medicine conference this year. This particular panel uh, consisted of Dr. Jeffrey Milstein, Dr. Jason Hahn, and Dr. Jules Lipoff, and they discussed strategies for getting narrative work published. I had a chance to speak with Dr. Lipoff after the workshop for a little bit more advice. My name is Jules Lipoff. I'm an assistant professor of dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm also a writer. I love writing in academic medicine, the lay press. I also do screenwriting and uh, television consulting. Uh, I was speaking today about being a writer and being a doctor entering creative spaces. In general, medical training and medical school and residency is terrible preparation for working in creative spaces because what we are taught to learn 
is that there is constant reassuring incremental progress. We do X, Y, and Z, and we will get the achievement. We will, get, we will unlock the next thing. Whereas in the creative space, you really have to embrace the process, embrace rejection and failure. And that sounds crazy. Embrace rejection, failure, but you really have to fail to succeed. You have to see that everything that you do is part of the process of growth and learning. So if you write a piece and it is terrible, you've made an accomplishment. You Writing a terrible piece is better than writing no piece at all. You have to learn what you're good at, what you're not, what to work on. When you share it with someone, maybe they're not going to like it, but you will build a relationship with them. You will learn how to pitch better. You will learn how to submit. You will learn just from interacting and being a part of the game. So one story I talked about was the value of quantity. So I told a story, uh, this comes from the book Art and Fear, where there was a ceramics class. The teacher divided the class into two groups. Half of the class was told your grade will be dependent merely on the quantity of how many clay pots that you make. If you have 50 pounds of clay pots, you get an A, 40, a B, and so on. The other half, they were told they will be judged merely on the quality of a single piece. One great, perfect piece, you get an A. And when they looked at all the pieces that were created, the best independently, the independently evaluated best pieces actually came from the quantity group. So does that, it doesn't mean necessarily that quantity uh, is better than quality, but quantity will lead to quality. Because the people in the group that had to make a lot of stuff learned to make mistakes, to learn from the process. Whereas if you're focused on one perfect thing, you can get really fussy and just intellectualize and theorize about what's good, but you haven't actually done anything. So you need to focus on just putting it out there. And also not, that you're so, not be so precious about what you're going to accomplish. I was saying this before that if you find that you can be happy or successful in a hundred possible ways, you're setting yourself up to be a happier, successful person. If you say, I will only be happy if I can get an op-ed in the New York Times, you're probably going to fail. I mean, maybe you will eventually, but if you are so fixated on one particular way to be happy, not only you're probably going to fail, once you get that, you're going to be, what's next? I'm actually still unsatisfied. So I think it's important to enjoy that process, sort of embrace failure as part of the process of learning how to grow and know that it's okay to not know exactly where you're going. It's good to have some idea of what you want to do, but just to embrace that and constantly be learning uh, and you'll become a better writer. I, I was always interested in film and I didn't know that I would necessarily be interested in screenwriting. I had fear about like, how could I write that? And I actually, I finally took the step of like, all right, I'm gonna actually try to write one. And it actually, well, not easy or anything, wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I was able to accomplish it. And even if that first screenplay was not necessarily, you know, the best thing in the world, it proved to me I could do it. It served a purpose, it got me a foothold. And then I was able to have the confidence to write a second one and so on and so forth. So, and then, you know, maybe one, that screenplay didn't necessarily uh, win great awards or anything, but it gave me the confidence to share it with some other people who are in the industry. And maybe they're not like making that movie, 
but it built a relationship with some people and gave me the confidence to go out to LA and meet people. And before I knew it, like I was, I could be invited back to consult on a TV show and that I, I didn't set out to try to consult for a TV show, but uh, just putting myself out there and being open to growth and what opportunities there could be, it, you know, something came up. Where can people check out your work? So you can follow me on Twitter at Jules Lipoff, J-U-L-E-S-L-I-P-O-F-F. Um, you can Google and find, uh, I, like, my article on Grayscale and Game of Thrones is on Vox, also in JAMA Dermatology, a separate article. Um, I have just various pieces in different things, academic and uh, otherwise, and I'm hoping to continue to create and put stuff out there uh, because I want to follow my own advice. And uh, like things like screenplays and stuff, you can't read. They're not publicly available, so I need to keep putting ideas out there so that I'm engaging with the audience. But wait, there's more. Keep listening because we have a really great interview with Dr. Colleen Farrell in the second part of this episode. And trust me, you don't want to miss this one.